What's up? This is Rayshon Jenkins, and you're listening to the Chargers Podcast Network. Hey guys, Chris Harry with you on a week four edition of Chargers Weekly here on the new Chargers Podcast Network. Coming up, we'll get this week's opposing view out of Miami from Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. NFL Network's Dan Helley also stops by to pick a six-pack of games in week four. But first, the voice of the team, Matt Money-Smith, joined me for a preview of Chargers-Dolphins. All right, guys, Chargers headed to South Beach this weekend, looking to right the ship, get to 2-2 two and two on the year. Now joined by the voice of the team, Matt Money-Smith, fresh off of NFL Network's Power Rankings show. Money, where were the Chargers this week? I believe the Chargers took a slide into the 16, 17, 18 area. The uh, the big topic was which one and two team do you believe is most likely to make the playoffs? And the Chargers found themselves smack in the middle of that discussion with uh, the Jaguars and the Eagles, I believe, were the other two teams we were kicking around. Well, there you go. I mean, the Chargers, they take a, a 17-7 halftime lead into the Houston game. They were up 10-6 at the half against Detroit. They are up 17-6 against Indy. The second half has been the problem. It's been getting them into trouble. Yeah, that's, um, you know, and a lot of times, halftime's adjustments, right? You, you figure out what the other team is doing right. You try to take it away. You figure out what you're doing wrong, and you correct it. And that's got to be, I would imagine, a serious concern for Anthony Lynn as coordinators and, and the players of, of why they get out to these great starts. And remember, this is like the exact opposite of what we had last year where they would start slow and they would end up playing catch up in the, the second half and, you know, overcome these giant holes, 17 points here, 14 points there. You think about that Steeler game, the Chiefs game, and somehow managed to get a victory there in the final minute. And it's been the uh, polar opposite this year where they have a 10 point lead over the Texans at the half. They have a lead over the lions. They have a, and it, you know, you think about what they, and, and also then you think about those moments where they could have extended their lead from 10 to 17 yeah. against the Texans from seven to 14 uh, against the, the lions and, and just bad play. Same with the, the, the Colts, you know, you think about that interception, you know, in the end zone to Malik Hooker and, and, it's just, you know, it's it's the exact opposite of what they had last year. So, you know, they can do it. It's just a matter of, of making sure you get all those things corrected. What do you think the biggest culprit is? Because it's a combination of things. It's penalties, turnovers, drops, um, being able to get the yardage, but just not being able to punch it in the end zone. If you had to pinpoint one specific thing that you want to see change on Sunday, what would it be? Penalties. Yeah. You know, I, I think not to not – call the guy out but you know Dancini can't hold there you just can't you're you're better off having if your guy beat you that badly just have him stone Justin at the line of scrimmage you know and you have second and goal from the six you can't and because it's it was just an egregious hold uh you, you gotta somehow in your brain and I know you know when it's going and dudes and bodies are flying it's hard to think you know, in that moment, it's easy for me to say it on a telephone sitting in an office, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, you got to recognize how debilitating first and goal from the 16 is compared to second and goal from the six. And by the way, Justin's pretty strong. He's got a good stiff arm. So let him figure out if he can he can spin off that guy, maybe stiff arm him, maybe juke him and, and get a yard or two. And now you got second and goal from the four instead. Um, you know, the hold by, by Inman was just, again, egregious in the Detroit game. Uh, you know, you let Justin take his chance. Yeah, your your guy's down there, but it's already a 25-yard game. You know, all you're going to do is create a negative play out of what was a net serious positive play. Even if your guy ends up pushing him out of bounds, now you got first and goal from the nine. Instead, you get 10, you know, off of that, and you're backed up. Same thing with Tevy in that block in the back. I think it's just, 
clean and those and those are just the three touchdowns that I figure makes you know helps illustrate that point. Um, I, I think those penalties are crucial, and you know you can go through all the other ones the 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 hands to the face for Desmond King on the interception. I mean those are you know the the unsportsmanlike or the contact after from Bosa after a big play you know that would have kept them right around midfield instead gives them you know a first and ten from the Chargers twenty for their first touchdown of the day. So just clean it up, man. That 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 stuff that's that's I don't want to say it's easy to correct. But it's it's certainly the easiest thing to attack. Yeah, you know, it, it play. A, you're gonna get beat. Just get beat and let it go. It was a big reason why they won that game in Week One. They only had three penalties, and you go nine. You got seven. I, I feel bad for Justin Jackson. You know, you have that like that three seconds where you feel like you scored, and then you get you turn around, you see the laundry on the field. Justin has had a a really hot start in limited touches to the first three weeks of the season, money. Yeah, twice. You know, two touchdowns taken off the board when he's running great. I mean, you know, he's running that sideline on that one in Detroit. And again, Inman, who's a vet, you got to know, man. You're, you're, you are you can't grab a guy by the back of the jersey. Let Justin take his chances, you know. And, and same thing again with Feeney. Let Jackson get a shot at it, man. All right, you got beat. Everybody, every, there, There's going to be a guy on the field that gets beat by the opponent every play. You know, sometimes it happens. Just recover the next play. Don't, don't you know, impact – don't have a double mistake as opposed to just one single one, um, yeah. you know, trying to correct it and just compounding the situation. Well, you know, the running game, too, when, when you don't have Russell out there, uh, we talked about at the beginning of the season just the importance of the tight ends, having Hunter and Virgil and Colkin in there to block. Hunter goes down, Virgil went down in the game against the Texans. So to be down two of your, your better blocking tight ends, really in this league. I mean, Virgil Green is a monster in the run game. Um, how do you think it affects just what they do on the ground overall, not having those guys coupled with not having Russell? I mean, dramatically. Look at the second-half numbers, right? Yeah. You know, and, and Virgil wasn't out there for the second half, and they went from running the ball at about five, six yards to carry to not being able to get any yards on the ground and barely using that rushing attack. Now, granted, they didn't have the ball, and they fell behind by 10 points, so they had to, to some degree, abandon the run. Um but look, it's still effective. I think Austin Eckler and, and Jackson and Justin Jackson are both great runners between the tackles. They're great runners on the edges. I mean, I think that's where they have to attack a little bit more. That seems to be where the strength of this run defense, this run offensive line, uh, run blocking scheme is, especially Tevy. I think Tevy's turning into an elite right tackle when it comes to run blocking. He's so athletic. He gets out there yeah. uh, in a hurry. And between, you know, he and Eckler, he and Justin Jackson running downfield, man, that is a force to be reckoned with through three games. Um, and we even saw it a little bit toward the end of last year. So, I think just keep attacking, you know, those spots and, and play to your strengths, you know, play to that right side. I'll, I'll be interested to see if, if we see a, a little bit more rotation in that line. I know last year the kind of the big talking point for the coaching staff was consistency, continuity, same five guys. Well, you know, Philip Rivers has been attacked too many times. You know, I think it's 10 or 11 now. That's too many. So maybe it's time to, to at least get a look and see if there's, uh, if there's a different combo that is more effective. And if it is, fine. And if it's not, fine. Um, but – my guess is we're going to start to see a little bit more of that this week just because, you know, unlike last year when they were 1-2 and two with losses to the Chiefs and Rams, I think 1-2 and two with a home loss to the Texans that you were up 10 and, and a loss on the road to Detroit when you had 450 yards of offense and two touchdowns taken off the board uh, would, would probably lend itself to a little bit more exploration with the roster to see if maybe there's something out there that, that you haven't checked out yet. We may see more. Forrest slam. Who knows? I don't think he got many snaps That's what I'm on thinking, Sunday. Yeah. So perhaps Forrest gets involved against the Dolphins. Then you flip it over to the Chargers pass rush. Just four sacks this season. And Watson, who 
has been getting sacked at a rapid clip over you know last season, 62 times, I think 10 going into the Chargers game. Only got sacked twice. Probably should have get put on the ground a few more times. Uh, you see Josh Rosen, Joey Bosa got him twice when he was a member of the Cardinals. I want to see that Chargers pass rush kind of get back to where they should be as well. Finish. That's yep. what they got to do. They got there. You know, they got there and just couldn't finish. Look, that's a testament to Deshaun Watson. He's fantastic at, at escaping. And you mentioned, you know, four-plus sacks in eight straight games, led the league in being sacked last year. I will say this, though, you know, they changed that offensive line. Um, you know, they put in the rookies, and it was smart. You know, and I think maybe that's something when they're watching the film, the Chargers can kind of ask themselves, all right, you know, they were they were leaning on the the, the, the vets, on, on Henderson, on Chantrell, and on uh, Calamente, and they were bad. And they replace him with two rookies, Sharping and Titus Howard. And guess what? They're pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it helps to have an elite left tackle. And Laramie Tunsil, when he was going one-on-one with Bosa, was certainly holding his own. Um, but another part of that, I think, was finishing. When, when you've got you know, a quarterback wrapped up on his lower half um, or he's, he's in your grasp, you know, his jersey's in your grasp, you've got to do everything you can to, to try to get, you know, finish that play. Because once he escapes, now the secondary's destroyed. And, you know, it's a broken play, and you've got so much talent out there and speed and Will Fuller and D-Hop, and it's just impossible to expect the secondary to be able to make those plays when, you know, you're three, four and a half, five seconds in, and now all of a sudden he's broken free and you've got all that speed out there. You know, it'd be disingenuous to say the Dolphins haven't struggled mightily. They've been outscored 133-16 to 16 this season. And I know, you, I know you can't look overlook anybody in the NFL. And they were, you know, it was a 10-6 ball game against the Cowboys at halftime. It was close. Uh, but this is, a, this is a game that you got to get 100%. And then you look at the schedule the next couple of games, you got an 0-3 team in the Broncos coming and an 0-3 team in the Steelers coming. So uh, these next three weeks, I, I think, pivotal for this team, Money. Well, I would start with this one um, and and just what you want to see beyond, obviously, you want to see a victory. You lose this one, and boy, you've got serious problems. Um, just get the victory. But also, I think you want to see things cleaned up. You know, that, that safety position was a mess. I mean, an absolute mess. And, and I think you could have expected it a little bit just because you're on your third safety, a guy that you probably didn't expect to get any reps, let alone start a game, you know, and play nearly 100% of the snaps at Strong and Roderick Teamer. But man, between he and Rayshon, just, they just could not get it together. And that's why you ended up having a guy who's been in the league for four seasons get his first two touchdowns of his career wide open in Aikens and Fells get another one, you know, his first of the season. Uh, just because that particular combo, you know, struggled to communicate, struggled to figure out where they're supposed to be, get their assignments right. Um, and you'd hope, you know, again, because they're playing against a quarterback like Deshaun that was able to extend plays and find those open men when they weren't sure what their assignments were supposed to be when a play broke down. Um, I think those are the things that I'll be looking at. And I would assume, you know, to heck with me, who cares what I'm looking at. But I mean, what the coaches are looking at is, hey, we got to, if this is the combo we're going with, if we're not going to move Rayshon to, to strong and put Adderley up top, and, and we're going to keep Jenkins up there, then you've got to see more out of Teamer. Um, because I, you know, I would just respectfully push back on, on the coaches a little bit. Uh, and Tom, I'm sure, is part, Telesco is part of that as well. But just that, that hey, you don't want to move a guy out of position in, in Jenkins to put another guy out there. Now you've moved two people. Well, you know, but maybe that combo's better. I, I, would, I would almost weigh it as, hey, is, is our combo of Teamer and Jenkins better than putting Adderley up top and putting Jenkins at strong because that's that's the way you have to look at it. Not well, we don't want to move Rayshon. Okay, but is that better than having Adderley up top and Jenkins on the line? So that's something along with Forrest and the interior of that line that's been a you know a little too leaky so far this season. 
um, I think are probably the two things that you'd like to see get right. And it can, you know, there's no reason to believe that it can't, you know, that see if that interior line can, can be stout against the dolphins and see if that, you know, safety tandem with an extra week of practice can get on the same page and hopefully you're good. Yeah. And the thing with Nazir, we saw that snapshot against the 49ers in week four. Uh, we know what he is capable of. And I think it's just a matter of time before he gets on the field, whether that's going to be Sunday against the dolphins, maybe a good time to get him out there. Actually. Um, I think that you have a lot of young guys with Faison and Teamer trying to mesh with guys that have been there for, for a little bit of time. A lot of folks are excited to see Adderley, and you hope maybe it's this week. And, you know, I think that's kind of what I always go back to is, and maybe it's because I cover the draft and I work for NFL.com and I'm out of the combine and I'm doing all that stuff. He's so impressive. I he mean, is. just, you know, think about that. Yeah, Adderley, just watching that tape from Delaware and just the way he is able to have, you know, field awareness locate the ball attack the ball you know close I mean just that that last line of defense he was so good and granted it was at Delaware but at the same time your eyes just don't lie to you when you watch it and for me it's just I want to see that I want to okay if it doesn't happen uh and he's not ready okay fine then he's not you know but I you said it perfectly I think against a team like the Dolphins that has struggled as much as they have uh get him out there Get him some reps and just see what he has to offer, like he did against San Francisco when they were thinking about not playing him because of his health. Um, and yet, what did he do? He gets out there, he gets his hands on four balls, intercepts one of them. Probably should have intercepted three, but mm-hmm. was shaking a little bit of that rust off. But just the fact that he had the possibility to intercept three, regardless of the level of competition, I think says try to find a way to get him on that field. Money, final thing for you. This Keenan Allen's numbers are silly. Three weeks in, 29 receptions, 42 targets, 404 receiving yards, three touchdowns. We've known how good Keenan is, but I almost feel like it's a different level this season. What have you seen based on the last two years, Pro Bowl years versus the first three games of this season? Well, I see more of the same. Um, I think the Houston game was an outlier because of the limited. Well, I shouldn't say that. Um, I like the matchup that Mike Williams had against Lonnie Johnson. You know, I thought that you'd see maybe a lot more of that out there. So, but Keenan's so good that every time, you know, Rivers was looking his way, he's like, well, he's open again. He's open again, you know, and that that prevented you from maybe getting uh, as much, you know, you know, getting after that, that, that Johnson-Williams matchup that they had going that was super effective as well. And I think that speaks to, you know, what you're kind of getting at here. And that is, good as he has played, uh, this is someone who deserves to be in the conversation as the best wide receiver in the league. And I think it was Jonathan Joseph that he did it against when he scored that second touchdown, if I remember right, in the open field, just broke his ankles. I mean, it was like watching Iverson on a crossover. Um, his ability, and I think, you know, for people that that, uh, that watch the game a lot, I think they can recognize it. I think it's tougher for casual fans to see it. Um, just his suddenness, his, his ability to change direction and not change speed is what separates him from every other receiver is you hear about, you know, you hear the way people describe elite receivers and say, Oh, the way he gets in and out of his breaks. Well, it's not just the suddenness at which he gets in and out of his his breaks. It's the speed. And while he doesn't have top end speed, there is no one in the league that moves the way he does that, that runs at one. It's, it's crazy. Just imagine you're running. Let's just, pick an arbitrary number at 10 miles an hour and when you plant your left foot and you cut right you're still at 10 miles an hour and then you plant your right foot and you cut up the field you're still at 10 miles an hour that's what separates him is it's it's 
crazy to watch. I mean, it just is. Like when you go back and you watch and you have a chance, and I hate when people say, oh, when you watch the film, but, but when you're able to do that and, and run slow-mo, and you see how much his body's moving and how many yards he's got, you know, two or three yards that he's cutting in before he's cutting up. And the defensive backs are just left in the dust. They have no chance. Like it's not fair what he does to them um, and how good he is at round running. And I, I think it's, I don't think it's even a question. You know that he's the best route runner in the game. That can't be debated. You can have your who's the best receiver in the game, but but he's certainly the best route runner. He has, if not the best, he's in the conversation as the best hands in the game. Um, and you know he may be making a case for first team All Pro at that position, and and finding himself you know not just on the outer edge of the Julio Jones, Michael Thomas. You know, Antonio Brown, when he was playing kind of deal, but but right in the middle of it. And DeAndre Hopkins, you know, is, is who is the best. Game Pass is worth the price of admission, man. I tell you, if you're a sure Chargers fan, like, make that purchase just so you can watch Keenan Allen and his 17 targets from last Sunday. And even, you know, DJ broke it down for us with the X's and O's against Detroit and just him against Darius Slay, one of the best corners in the league. And what he's doing to the best corners in the league, it's uh, it's pretty remarkable. So we'll see we'll see what he does against the Dolphins. Money, I look forward to seeing you in South Beach, man. See if the Chargers can get We're the not going to South Beach. Right, Stop fine. staying South Beach. Uh, you I'll golfing. be in Fort Lauderdale. You'll be golfing in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> I'll see you in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> you go to the clubs. I'm, All right, man. I'm too old. I'm too old to go to live. No, nah, you're going to the clubs. You're going to those fancy spots. You're going to get your day. <laughs> Chris Harry's doing this weekend. Oh, God. Yeah. Come find me at 3 a.m. at Live. See you, money. There you go. See ya. All right, to get this week's Opposing View, presented by Mercury Insurance, we bring in Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. Joe, how you doing, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, I appreciate your time. What are the Dolphins saying about the Chargers coming to town in week four? You know, it's funny. There's been so little discussion about the opponents uh, on a week-to-week basis. I was talking to the left tackle, Jesse Davis, who's going to play with a brace on his injured right arm. Dolphins are so depleted at the offensive line. And I was like, uh, so who do you have to go against this week? He's like, oh, just Bosa and Ingram. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, you know, there's just been so much focus on the Dolphins tanking their plan to get a top three draft choice to get, you know, Tua Tonga Vailoa from Alabama. Uh, it, it's becoming really frustrating for the veteran players who realize they have little chance to win on a week-to-week basis. Joe, what's the locker room like, especially with some of those vets, you know, from you know training camp to now? What, what have you noticed about just how some of the vets are handling things? It's getting harder, and, you know, it really feels like we're in the middle of the season. As the Dolphins, they've obviously only played three games, um, three historically poor performances on track to being one of the worst teams in the history of the National Football League. Um, for guys like Rashad Jones, who have been around for a while, um, this is, he's highly paid, so as long as the check clears, you know, he can sleep at night. But uh, it's just really hard for these players who are being asked, to practice as hard as they ever have before with the first-year head coach, Brian Flores, and to buy into a culture of uh, selflessness and team first and hard work and discipline uh, and max effort. It's just so hard to do that knowing you really don't have a chance to win. Well, Brian Flores, you mentioned first-year head coach. I believe you had a piece 
today as we taped this uh, that talks about just his kind of calming force or just kind of a, his emotional stability. Uh, what has he brought to this team in what do you see in Brian Flores, not just as a head coach in year one, but as the future of this franchise? Well, it's a good thing Flores has a five-year contract. Now, the owner, Stephen Ross, is a billionaire, and so certainly he can buy out any contract. But the reason this offense chose Flores was not because of his defensive play-calling acumen, but because everyone they spoke to about Flores talked about his leadership skills and how all of the things that have made him who he is as a person all the adversity he overcome came in his youth, growing up uh, in a poor family in a rough neighborhood, uh, earning scholarships to a private high school and then a private university. Um, all of those things uh, sort of made him who he is. And he's an impressive individual. He's a guy who can sort of be a chameleon, blend in with anybody from anywhere, which, as we know, is really important in a football locker room where players literally are from everywhere and have every different type of experience. Um, so I think that, you know, the players like him, they respect him, they understand that he's bringing a very serious approach to work, and he expects them to take a serious tone. Um, but the thing they like about him is what we as media guys like about him is that he's the same guy every day. Mm. So whether he wins 59 and nothing, whether or not uh, another player goes out to a season-ending injury, whether or not another player asks politely to be put on the please trade me list, which has happened a few times here in South Florida, um, Flores has the same demeanor, the same level, even-keeled approach. And frankly, the last head coach, Adam Gase, who's already off to a hard time in the New York market, 0-3, but problems that extend beyond the record, um, it was kind of a roller coaster with Gase. Um, and, and Flores is really more of an even-keeled guy which I think most people prefer. You know, Joe, despite the losing, and, you know, like you said, the first three weeks outscored 133-16. to 16. You take that away, it's about building a culture. And I remember Coach Lynn, and Coach Lynn has nothing but the utmost respect for the Dolphins and, and what Coach Flores is, is going to do there. Um, but I remember Coach Lynn's first year, they go 0-4, albeit it, it was a lot of close games and it wasn't what the Dolphins have experienced. But it was about building a culture, and it seems like Flores is the type of coach um, who has a, a plan in place that it may take a little bit longer than most people expect, but it, it seems like it's probably going to get there. Yeah, I mean, he constantly talks about wanting players and wanting a team that is uh, you know, tough, smart, and disciplined, and, and it's really hard to be those things when you know, it's hard to be tough when you're physically overmatched in a one-on-one matchup. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's hard to be smart when you're put in a position where, you know, you kind of have to take a penalty or your teammates can get killed. Um, And it's kind of hard to be, you know, disciplined when the score is out of hand. We saw their star cornerback, the Dolphins, Xavier Howard, actually get ejected from the last game. Uh, He was frustrated with both his on-the-field performance and all that was happening around him. So... You know, I wrote in one of my columns this week after Josh Rosen made his first start, let's not judge Josh Rosen based on his completion percentage and the final score. Let's use our eyes and and make a fair assessment about, well, what chance did he really have on this particular play? What decision did he make or not make on this particular play? What kind of toughness, what kind of mental aptitude, 
uh, did he make on this particular play? And that's kind of what we have to do with Flores in this first year. You know, they're going to win two, three, four games, whatever it may be. Maybe not. Um, but do the players lay down? Do they give continuous effort? Um, you know, those are the things we're going to judge Flores on in his, at the, in his first year. Joe, how much did things change with Josh Rosen under center last Sunday against the Cowboys? It was only 10-6 at halftime. I'm just curious what you saw based on everything that you just mentioned that may have changed a little bit with Rosen under center. The reason the Dolphins chose Ryan Fitzpatrick is because of his um, veteran status. He's well-liked. He's a leader. He's very smart. He understands NFL defenses and offenses. Um, you know, he... he he was doing all those little things that Josh Rosen hasn't done yet in his career, um, such as demonstrating positive body language, encouraging his teammates. And the Dolphins really felt that by watching Fitzpatrick, even for just a couple of games, as it turned out, that some of those things would rub off on Rosen. And I did see that in the first game. Um, he was let down. Preston Williams dropped uh, a pass. Devontae Parker dropped a pass. That could have been a touchdown. Jakeem Grant dropped a pass. Um, you know, the Dolphins had to play a rookie left guard at left tackle because they only dressed two tackles and their starting left tackle got injured and he started getting run around. And I, I saw some positive things from Rosen, but the reason he was a top 10 draft choice is because of his strong arm hmm. and his ability to make plays uh, when they break down. And he can do that. He can escape pressure by using his feet and keeping his eyes downfield. He is a, a highly skilled thrower of the football. He can make all the throws. If Josh Rosen doesn't succeed in the NFL, whether it's with the Dolphins or some other franchise, he's only 22 years old. It won't be because of his a failure in his God-given skills. He has all the skills that are required of an upper echelon, Pro Bowl-level type quarterback. The only reason the Dolphins are looking to draft a Tua from Alabama, a Herbert from Oregon, is because they're still, to this point, not sold on him being uh, a franchise-type quarterback. They just haven't seen enough. Joe, do you think that he could change their minds over the course of the next 13 games? I know he didn't start, but let's say that he does show promise given the, the talent that he has around him. Would the Dolphins consider maybe not selecting a quarterback number one overall, would, or would it just take a whole lot to change their minds? Do you remember when the Redskins drafted Kirk Cousins and um, Robert Griffin Jr. and the yep. RG3 in the same? So there's no doubt the draft Dolphins are using one of their three first-round draft choices on a quarterback next year. And the reason is, for so long, the Dolphins kept holding out hope that Ryan Tannehill could turn a corner, take the next step, you know, uh, become the guy who could lead the team to playoff victories. And, and they realized, man, they waited too long. They, they passed on too many chances to aggressively pursue some of these great young quarterbacks. You know, the, the Patrick Mahomeses, the Carson Wentzes, you know, the Deshaun Watson. They didn't go after these guys in a manner that they should have. And so uh, if Josh Rosen is here, he will be – uh, a player who, at a very reasonable salary, can either be an outstanding backup quarterback or, at least at the start of next season, compete with their first-round draft choice. I don't see any way 
that he, anyway, no matter what he does, that he's handed the keys to the 2020 season. Joe, I want to ask you about Mike Pouncey. His return to Miami, he's played at a Pro Bowl level here. He's awesome. He's an awesome guy for this locker room. Uh, what are your memories of Mike? Yeah, you know, the Dolphins really miscalculated when they let Mike Pouncey go. They asked him to take a pay cut, and then they tried to work out the contract situation. Mike really wanted to stay in South Florida. I mean, he is a Florida guy. He uh, wanted to retire ideally as a Dolphin. But, um, you know, they miscalculated. They thought that he didn't have much left, and he really did. And so I'm really proud of Mike for uh, how well he's done in Los Angeles and and the kind of uh, way in which uh, your guys' coaches and players speak about Mike. Um, he, he, he was a locker room force. He was a, uh, a real true leader. And right now the Dolphins are lacking in that area of leadership. And so – I'm really happy for Mike, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him on Sunday. Joe, I'm looking at the depth chart right now, and there's not a ton of household names. You know, you mentioned Xavier Howard and, and Jones, and a lot of people know Rosen and Devontae Parker. Who are a few guys that Chargers fans should have eyes on that you think are going to be part of this program, not only this year, but maybe over the next several years? Well, at the wide receiver position, there's an undrafted rookie free agent named Preston Williams. Uh, he has been inconsistent through the first three games, but he has all the talent that is required of a number one receiver in the league in terms of size, speed, uh, body control, um, ability to, to make acrobatic catches. It was evident from his first practice that Preston Williams has a chance to be a star in the league. Now, is all those things that he has to do to become a complete receiver including holding on to the football more consistently. He is the only Dolphin to score a touchdown in the first three games of this season. Wow. I mean, that is a shocking statistic. I mean, and, and believe me, there are a ton of them in terms of sacks allowed versus sacks attained. The Dolphins have six rushing first downs for the season mm. and have allowed 36. Wow. Six for the Dolphins, 36 for the other guys. That is that is one of the most insane stats I've ever heard in my life. But anyway, to answer your question, this is a bad team. But Christian Wilkins, 94, uh, on the defensive line. He can play defensive end in the 3-4, defensive tackle uh, when they use the four-down linemen. He did a really nice job against a veteran center and guard uh, in Frederick and um, uh, Zach Martin last week for the Cowboys. Um, he is a guy who um, can really make an impact. I don't know how good your, you know, the Chargers guards are, but if there's a weak spot there, they'll line them up over there, and that's the spot where the Dolphins think they can take advantage. Joe, final thing for you: What are you going to have eyes on Sunday? Um, what do you think the biggest challenge is that maybe this Chargers team presents to the Dolphins if you had to pick a, a position group? Well, the Dolphins' offensive line is one of the worst in the NFL in the last 20 years. Um, I mean, it's horrendous and, you know, nice guys, but literally guys who are like coming in off the street, introducing themselves to each other in the huddle. I mean, it is a bad situation. And uh, if Bo Boza and Ingram are, are eligible to play, is that right? That's right. They'll be there. Okay. Yeah. Bad, bad, bad news for the guys in Aqua and Orange. Uh, you know, last week they came out and tried to use uh, six, seven, eight guys to block. Uh, you know, they were running two, three tight ends, a fullback, 
and and they still just couldn't stop the Chargers. So uh, I, that's what I'm looking at, man. Can the Dolphins? The Dolphins have no chance if they average two yards a rush. So they need to figure out a way. I'm thinking a bunch of screen passes, a bunch of slants, a bunch of end arounds. They need to find a way to do what they did against the Cowboys in the first half when they should have had the lead and trailed only 10-6, which is find a way to control the football and keep the ball out of Phillip Rivers' hands. That is what a small victories, man. Drive to drive, get a first down. You know, if the Dolphins can put together a few first downs, that is literally like a victory for them because this team is just bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Joe, I look forward to seeing you on Sunday, man. I I really appreciate your time. Hang in there, and we'll see you for week four. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. All right, guys, we know you love the Chargers, but you also probably love saving money, too. And Mercury Insurance can help you with that because Chargers fans are saving an average of $769 with Mercury. That'll get you great seats for the next game and jerseys for the whole family, too. So what are you waiting for? Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. See how much you could save. It only takes a few minutes to switch, and it could save you a lot of money. Don't wait. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. Savings info based on 2019 California Department of Insurance rate comparison profile 38A. Individual savings may vary. Also want to remind you, don't miss a minute of action with the official Los Angeles Chargers mobile app. Follow real-time stats, watch your favorite Bolts programming, and live local Chargers games all season long. Download today at chargers.com slash app. Geographic and device restrictions apply. Local and primetime games only. Data charges may apply. All right, now joined by my guy Dan Helley of NFL Network. Dan was on the Panthers-Cardinals call last week. You're doing the Fantasy Zone, your NFL Network, all over the place, man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been fun. Football season's finally here. I did the Titans preseason, which is always a blast. But once week one of the regular season rolls around and it's actually real live football that counts and matters, it's uh, it's hard to beat, brother. Yeah, man. Well, we, we have some great games in week four, and I thought we'd pick six of them, uh, a lot of them that kind of affect the Chargers too, especially in the AFC West. And I want to start with the Raiders at Colts. Uh, Raiders lost to Minnesota 34-14 last week. They're down 21 nothing in the first half. And then the Colts, they won their last two games, but I, I just looked at their injury report. It's brutal. They have a lot of guys that did not practice as we taped this. Uh, what do you think in this game, Dan? Raiders-Colts. Well, you know, the Raiders made it too easy on that Minnesota offense. Dalvin Cook diced them up. You know, Kirk Cousins, as he has all season, hasn't really had to do a whole lot. Um, and, and offensively, I, I really would like to see Josh Jacobs more involved in the passing game. He's a really good receiver out of the backfield. He has one catch all season long. Um, and in regards to the Colts, I think offensively, yeah, they're, they're banged up around the horn a little bit, but they opened things up against Atlanta. You know, after a couple of games in which Jacoby Brissett didn't break 200 yards, he has a, a career high in 28 completions and throws for over 300 yards. You know, Atlanta really sold out to stop Marlon Mack in that run game. Obviously, it didn't work. Um, I, I like what Indy has going on here, man. I, I would take them over Oakland for sure. Yeah, Indy, the Chargers beat them in week one, but it was not easy. And, and we'll get to the Chargers a little bit later. But another AFC West opponent. Uh, the Chiefs, they play the Lions, and the Chargers were up in Detroit a couple of weeks ago, lost to Detroit. Detroit coming off a, a couple impressive wins against the Bolts and the Eagles. And then what can you say about the Chiefs, man? Even when you take Tyreek Hill out of the equation, 
Mahomes makes other guys stars, whether it's Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, the, this rookie Hardman. Uh, what do you see here? Lions, Chiefs. It's a great point. You know, each week they've had a different leading receiver. And I remember week one, you know, everybody on all their fantasy teams is just jumping to pick up Sammy Watkins on the waiver wire if he was available. And then, you know, Demarcus Robinson comes out of nowhere and goes for, you know, 160, 170 yards. And McCole Hardman is that speed merchant that they were uh, counting on to hold down the fort until Tyreek Hill, you know, got back. I think that secondary for Detroit with Darius Slay and Quadre Diggs and company is going to have their hands full. You know, that, that defense is uh, ranked bottom third of the league. I don't see them being able to contain this Kansas City offense. I, I really don't know anybody who can't. Patrick Mahomes on pace to throw for 6,300 yards. I know it's only week four, but that is absolutely insane. Uh, give me KC. I don't even know what the line is on that, but uh, I think they're going to win handily. Just the one example of just how crazy Mahomes is that that second quarter against the Raiders. They didn't have to do anything else the rest of the game. Four touchdowns in a quarter. Um, I think some people thought he he was going to slow a little bit in his his third season. No, not no chance. No, you know Mahomes is such a joy to watch. The first two weeks of the season, he had 313 yards passing in the first half in both games. Right on the number, 313, two games in a row, which was just crazy. Um, he is the Magic Johnson of the NFL because, to your point, he makes every single person better. You know, I don't, I don't think they're ideally set up in terms of their run game, but it almost doesn't matter. Um, and who would have expected this without Tyreek Hill uh, early on uh, for him to be as effective, if not more effective, than he was last year? This, He's a generational talent and uh, I think we should all just drink it up man enjoy every second you get to see a Patrick Mahomes of course when he's not taking on the charts yeah exactly all right AFC North you got a pair of 0-3 teams and then you got the Browns and the Ravens in Baltimore Browns haven't looked sharp through the first three weeks a lot of penalties not a lot of points I think Baker's been sacked 11 times already five interceptions and then the Ravens they went down to the wire with the Chiefs, and, I mean, they looked awesome the first couple of weeks. What do you see here, Lamar Jackson versus Baker? Yeah, you know, the the Browns have been interesting. Um, I obviously follow the Titans a lot because I do their games, as I said earlier, and, uh, you know, they threw up a real stinker there against the Titans to open up the season, and obviously uh, the play calling of Freddie Kitchens, his clock management, the penalties have been called into question. Baker, not the same guy that we saw last year, at least not yet. I think he's going to get back to, to where he was. He's kind of bailing out of the pocket uh, too early. I think Chris Collinsworth hit the nail on the head. It's, it's almost like he's shooting fadeaway jumpers, and you just can't win in the NFL where you're just falling off your back foot and you know swinging it up there on a wing and a prayer. Their next four games are absolutely brutal. They obviously have Baltimore this week. Then they're at San Francisco. They have Seattle and New England. Mm. Um, and the Ravens, even though they're coming off that loss at KC on the road, Lamar Jackson, that's all the guys are talking about defensively for KC after that game. He's the fifth-rated quarterback in the NFL. From what we saw last year, I thought it would take three, four years for him to get to be a passable NFL quarterback in terms of just throwing the football. He hasn't thrown an interception since week 11 of last year. The Browns were without their entire starting secondary in that loss to the Rams, and they still only lost by seven. I think they're a good football team. They're trying to sort some things out. The matchup, I'm really curious to watch here, cornerback Marlon Humphrey um, against OBJ. Humphrey, kind of a silent assassin, doesn't say a whole lot, but he has a zero passer rating when thrown against this year. 
Um, I think like it's going to be a close game. I know it's amazing. I think it's going to be a close game. I think Cleveland, if they kind of right the ship, they're going to they're going to keep it close. Um, but but I don't see them being able to contain Lamar. Well, Baltimore, and they if they go three and one again, we talked about the Bengals and Steelers being zero and three right now. The Browns would drop to one and three. I mean, you're you're already putting your, uh, a lot of separation between you and the rest of the three teams of the division. Oh, there's no doubt, you know. And then they have they have Pittsburgh next week, and they have Cincinnati after that. So, you know, a couple of division games there that one would think that Baltimore would be able to win, and um, they are quickly proving to be the uh, the cream of the of the division crop. I'm um, again in a, in a very different way than Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, just so electric and fun to watch. Um, if they get you know a two three game cushion, you know after let's just say the midpoint of the season, it's it's going to be hard to catch them. All right, this next one, you were on the call last week for Panthers-Cardinals. This one's Panthers at Texans. Kyle Allen, four touchdowns you saw up close, and then we saw Deshaun Watson up close and personal Mm -hmm. against the Chargers. He was fantastic against the Bolts. What are you expecting in this one? This one's got a little juice. Kyle Allen versus Deshaun Watson. Yeah, Kyle Allen, of course, uh, you know, spent some time at Texas A&M in college and then wrapped up in Houston. Uh, He's such a great story. You know, the number one quarterback in the country, coming out of high school in Scottsdale, Arizona, goes to Texas A&M, wins the starting job for a portion of his freshman year. And then his next year, Kyler Murray comes in. Kyle Allen beats out Kyler. Then Kyler takes the job for a couple games. Then Kyle Allen wrestles it back and both decide to transfer after that. He, of course, beats Kyler head-to-head last week, has an incredible game. You know, he's from the area in front of family and friends. Uh, four touchdown passes, as you mentioned. I like the weapons that he has on offense. I think DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel complement each other incredibly well. They're the youngest wide receiver duo in the NFL, and I think they might be the most underrated duo in the NFL. You should throw in Greg Olson, um, who had a nice game last week, a couple of touchdowns. He's coming off a 100-yard game two weeks ago. Christian McCaffrey got back on track next week. I like what they're doing there. I'm worried about the letdown, though. I think Kyle... The one thing they said about him was that he was so even keeled. Uh, things didn't really rattle him. And that was interesting to see in the homecoming game that that held true. Uh, now on the road again, this time in Houston, uh, against a defense that I think is going to be tougher than that Cardinals defense that he faced. I- I'll be interested to see if he can put up similar type numbers. You know, the Texans offensively have allowed 12 sacks, as you know. Um, Deshaun, one of those Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson type guys that makes everybody uh, around him better. DeAndre Hopkins uh, was neutralized to a certain extent last week. They still found a way to pull it out. Um, I, I like Houston here at home. I just don't know that the, the Carolina offense can sustain um, what they had last week against the stronger defense in the Texans. All right, Dan, Jags at Broncos. The Broncos are 0-3, but I think more surprising – they don't have a sack this year, and they have Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. And then you flip it to Jacksonville. They're tied for the lead league in sacks with 13, and they got this guy Gardner Minshew who's become one of the biggest stories in this early season in the NFL. Yeah, the Denver offense, you know, just hasn't been going either. You know, they're 20th overall. The, the run game's kind of middle of the pack. Uh, the passing game of Joe Flacco really hasn't gotten going. Um, I love the swag that Gardner Minshew brings to the table. <laughs> you see what he <laughs> wears stash. on some of the road trips. It's incredible. We love storylines, right, Chris? And Gardner Minshew is an incredible storyline. You know, you know that he was 
all slated to go to Alabama as a backup, actually a third string quarterback there to back up Tua and Jalen Hurts and, you know, get set for a career in coaching. And then Mike Leach talked him into coming to Washington State as a graduate transfer. He goes there, he leads the nation in passing. Uh, he was a Heisman finalist, and then he ends up getting drafted uh, by Jacksonville, and he's been relatively unflappable so far. I, I think that Denver's a tough place to play. Um, I, I need to see something from Denver before I pick the Broncos because I haven't seen enough on either side of the ball. And you bring up a great point. You know, they have the perhaps the greatest pass rush tandem in the NFL, and they're not able to take advantage of that right now. And they have a defensive-minded head coach. You would think that there were going to be some some changes there after the first two weeks of the season. We didn't see that week three. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they're gonna bounce back this year. I think uh, this seat this week rather, and and I think that just being at home is gonna be a tremendous advantage for them. Yeah, and I think DJ brought this up on his podcast. They've lost seven straight dating back to last year, the Broncos. So I think their last win came in like early December of 2018. So it's been a long time coming for the Broncos. Uh, final one. It wears on you. You know, it yeah. wears on you after a while. But I think with the new head coach, that's like for him, it's just three losses, right? He's exactly. not thinking about exactly. that. But yeah. for some for some of the players, though, I mean, they're they're hungry. And I think what happens in the NFL is, you, you know, you – you go seven, eight games in a row during a single season with a loss, and then you find guys just starting to kind of make it through the game instead of trying to make an impact. But we're not there yet, I don't believe, with Denver. All right, final one, Chargers, Dolphins, and the Dolphins' struggles have been well-documented. Chargers have lost two straight. They're one and two as well. So they're not. I don't think they have any sympathy for Miami. Um, Bulls need to get back on track on Sunday. Dan, you think they do it? Yeah. I mean, if there's a back-on-track team to play against the NFL, it has to be the Miami Dolphins, right? I mean, listen, penalties have absolutely killed the Bolts this year. I believe they've had four touchdowns called back, you know, drops an issue last week. Keenan Allen needs some help on offense. He had career-high 183 yards, which is great. Uh, 42 targets, that's nine more than the next closest receiver, which I believe is Michael Thomas. Um, and the injury situation is familiar, right? Russell Okun, Hunter Henry, Derwin James, Badgley all out. Um, but this is a place that they've been before. You know, this is the fifth year in a row they've had a losing record after three in a row. We saw how they bounced back last year. Um, I, I think that the, the Dolphins and what they're dealing with right now, Josh Rosen has a banged up elbow. He's listed on the injury report this week. Uh, this is the, uh, the perfect remedy for what's been ailing the Chargers, I think. Yeah, the Chargers get to two and two this first quarter of the season and then maybe start to get on a roll, get some guys back. But uh, you want to see them kind of right the ship here and correct some of those mistakes we've seen the first three weeks. Dan Helley, what do you got this weekend? Are you in the fantasy zone this weekend? I got the fantasy zone on Sunday, traveling to Charlotte to call a uh, North Carolina Charlotte FAU game. Uh, Conference USA can be seen uh, every week on NFL Network, and this will be my first one of these. And uh, looking forward to catching up with uh, old Lane Kiffin to see what he has to say in a, nice. uh, a Charlotte program with Coach Healy that's uh, actually doing some nice things there. So um, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun game to call there in Charlotte. Dan, you always do great work, man. Always appreciate your time, and uh, we'll have you back here soon. Sounds good, brother. Appreciate it, Chris. And that'll do it for us. A big thanks to Dan Helley, Joe Shad, and Money for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Remember, be sure to download and subscribe to the all-new Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Backstage Chargers this week with Mike and Ike, Playmakers with Haley Elwood and Allison Miner. We're going to have a bonus Chargers Weekly on Friday as well, so be on the lookout for that. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the game on Sunday as the Chargers look to even their record at 2-2. Two and, two. and until next time.
I'm Chris Harey.